Welcome, everybody, to the Land of Lakers podcast. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, coming to you Sunday night. The Lakers got a few days off before they uh, find out who they play and then before they have to play again, Andy, in the Western Conference Finals for the first time Indeed. in a long time. Ten years. Uh, it's also the last time the Lakers won wow. a championship. It has been ten years since that 2010 championship with Kobe, Powell, Ello, and all those guys. And it's actually been – Seven years since they made the playoffs. So, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot good, bad, and then good again has happened since that 2010 championship. Yeah. So a, a lot to cover today. We'll, we'll get through in the podcast. Lakers obviously win that series against Houston four to one and uh, looking better as it goes along. Uh, we'll talk about LeBron. We'll talk about AD. We'll talk about the Lakers suddenly having this like amazing depth between uh, Markeith Morris, playoff Rondo, Alex Caruso and his parents inside the bubble just hanging out and drinking wine. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Clippers uh, because something seems a little bit off. In, uh, in some some would say it feels can... like uh, Clippers going to clip. Yeah, it could happen. It, 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 I mean, look, just game saying. seven, man. Uh, so, and the Nuggets certainly aren't afraid. Nuggets are not afraid of the Clippers in nope. the slightest. Um, nor should they be. So we'll talk about that, and uh, we'll get to all of it, though, after we remind you, of course, that the Land of Lakers podcast is brought to you by the folks at Delicious Pizza. Two locations, Andy, one on uh, West, one in West Adams, one in Hollywood. Always really good pizza. Yeah, it's fantastic. Really good food. And you should go there, support local business, particularly local business that is run by a massive Massive Laker fan. He's is exactly like everybody listening to this podcast, except he happens to own two pizza spots and a music label. But otherwise, he's just like the rest of you. Exactly right. And remember too, with your order, Cam Brothers sent you, and yeah, Cam Brothers. Exactly. Good, good stuff from the from the folks at Delicious Pizza, and we always thank them. We thank delicious vinyl for our music because it really does make the podcast better all right so four games to one andy and it was uh i guess the gentleman's sweep uh the lakers lose game one looked like they could lose games two and three really because they were down in the lakers were down in the fourth quarter in all three of the first three games um and then in game four kind of reversed the trend by letting houston back into the game uh in the fourth quarter so, I mean, you could argue, I guess, that the series was a little bit closer than five games would suggest, but by the end of it, it was very clear who the better team was, and it was not the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I think that actually started becoming clear in game two when when they won, and you could see the direction the series was going with the Lakers when it came to the adjustment Frank Vogel made with going with what I call medium ball. You know, not quite right. small ball because, the, you know, the Lakers could have actually downsized themselves even more if they truly wanted to try to, like, really match Houston's personnel. But, you know, rather than going that small, they ended up with a compromise where JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard were out of the rotation altogether. Markeith right. Morris, Morris ended up the starting center in games four and five. And over two and three, he started uh, playing more and more minutes. And the Lakers found this really great happy medium where they were 
smaller than they typically go. And I think all things being equal the way Frank Vogel prefers to go, but they were still bigger than Houston and they were still able to be bigger. Right. And it's funny because like so much Andy of the conversation around this series was framed as are the Lakers going to go big or, you know, and try to impose that, or are they going to have to go small? And, I think that adjustment, what we learned is the Lakers could go smaller than they normally do, but they 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 didn't they didn't need to go small to actually go small. That lineup that they played still had tons of length yes. and tons yeah. of size that 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 Houston just could not deal with. Well, th- this actually gets to though, and you know, my original prediction was actually Lakers and five. And as I've said a lot, the big reason that I just did not buy into Houston from the moment they made that trade for Robert Covington was they're not able to make any type of significant adjustments. Like who they are at that point is locked in. And the only real adjustment they can ever make is to just be the best version of themselves, which is a really difficult bar to have to clear every single night in, in the playoffs what also, though, I really admired and respected with Frank Vogel in terms of the adjustment that he made was that he made it recognizing, again, where the series was going as opposed to being forced into it. Like he actually went made this full adjustment from a position of strength where the right. Lakers were actually in control of the series as opposed to having his back against the wall and being forced into it. And the reason to me that's significant is a lot of coaches don't do that. Like a lot of coaches really wait to make those type of adjustments to when they have to, like to do they really feel like they have to, as opposed to when they should. And, and I think it really speaks to, you know, Frank Vogel's intelligence as a coach, but also for lack of a better way of putting it, his humility as a coach, like he's really willing to just well, make these type of ju- adjustments and remove ego. You know, and I think it was, you asked him the question he talked about it. Yeah. It's like, in a lot of ways, we 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 spent the season preparing to do this, and yeah, look, it it helps when your team is Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and you know a, a choose your own adventure novel. Like everybody who comes after that is somewhat interchangeable in the sense that none of those guys that would have to move in and out of the lineup are have you know the kind of juice to to threaten the infrastructure. You know, like. I understand, like, you know, JaVale and, and Dwight deserve credit for not complaining and not – I get that, like, but in, in staying enthusiastic and JaVale's jumping over the, the boards every time, you know, they yeah, make – both a of them were true pros. And those guys really do, – I, I don't – I am not trying to, to minimize it. But at the same time, neither one of the – like, neither – A, they're going to play again. Both of them know that this is sort of, I think, serious – we'll talk a little bit about what they do in the lineup going forward, but I think both of them understand – this is a little bit series specific. They're not going to, you know, whether it's Denver or um, the Clippers, at some point, a center is a classic center is going to play. If they play the Miami Heat in the finals or the Celtics in the finals, they're, those, one of those guys is going to play at least a little bit. So they know they're not done for the playoffs. The, the the flexibility that they've had all year in terms of let's do this, let's move this guy around, we'll plug this guy into here, this guy's going to play the fourth quarter. Vogel's been able to, to kind of mix and match in ways that, and he talked about it, kind of prepared them for making a change like that in this series. So it's not only, I think, a credit to 
the 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 willingness to make a change in the postseason, like you say, is not. It's what they're arguing about right now in Milwaukee. It's also the the season long recognition of what you have and trying to mold it in a way that prepares you for this moment. So I, well, I, also, I think it helps too. on a couple levels. Yeah, I mean, I think it helps too. And we've talked about this a lot. It really helps that this group is genuinely close, and yeah. they, and they really play for each other. And and I think they real I think they really enjoy seeing each other succeed. Like for example, Taylor Horton Tucker, the rookie, ended up getting some unexpected minutes in this game because by going medium, um, they needed more uh, they needed more wing depth, you know. And Taylor Horton Tucker unexpectedly in game four ended up getting about seven first half minutes, and he played really well. Got about seven or so in the first half in game five, and you could see how excited. All the veterans were like when he got his first basket, when he got sure. steel, you know, all these different things. And and it's a group that just really enjoys playing together. And you know, and they're really, I think, open to making sacrifices w- without it becoming something that ever bears resentment. And, and right. you don't always see that, e- even with teams that I think have a good rapport. You know, it, it can be fragile when it starts becoming guys it playing. It can time. be, but the, especially when you have this. The the lack of a hierarchy is problematic sometimes when you need a third guy to step up and be a scorer. Step like, you know, we'll talk about sort of this. We're, we're sort of talking about it now. The depth that they found in this starting lineup with Morris and this that sort of the the side note of that is Kyle Kuzma did didn't do a whole lot of scoring in this series. He did, you know, he wasn't like all over the box. I'm not saying he played poorly, but it's not like he was, you know, a, a quote unquote third guy. Um, against well, I mean, he was, he was actually their third leading scorer, but he, but he was not a prolific scorer. Right. Like in the 22 a game. Right. No, I mean, he, he's the third leading scorer, you know, the second leading scorer, Anthony Davis more than doubled his averages. So you can, right. you can see where the gap is. Again, didn't play poorly. Not my point, no. but we had eight points in, in game two. We had four points in game five. You know, 17 in game, you know, four points, you know, uh, you know, I'm sorry, four, 17 in game five, four in game four. But like, you know, he was good and he played good defense and played and terrific defense. Talk about when you, the lack of hierarchy can be a problem when you need, when you need like sort of a pecking order, when you need guys to kind of step up, when you need offensive organization or whatever. But it does have, advantages in the sense that it does, I think, make it easier for Frank Vogel or any coach for Vogel to to make the kind of changes that he did. What do you think they do um, with the lineup? I, I think I think regardless of, of which team they play, I think they actually go back to the original starting lineup, at least for game one of the next round. That would be, be my wrong. It could be 100% wrong. It would be my assumption. I, I think if Denver somehow, uh, I mean, when I say somehow advances, I, I'm just acknowledging that they were the underdog at one point being down 3-1. I mean, yeah. it, would, it would be one hell of a comeback by Denver. Again. I, right, again. Yes, you're correct. Um, if it's Denver, I think it's a given that they go back to their conventional lineup just because Jokic is both so good but also so big and has mm-hmm. to be accounted for so much. Like, I... I I feel like you'd be putting Markeith Morris in a bad position. Well, you, could, you could argue that the, you know you want that mobility. I mean, because what really what it did was it allowed 
it allowed them to stay big and also stay home on their three-point shooters, which was something, and which is also important against Denver. It's, it, it is it is important, but it is. Denver. I do think it's a lot to ask him both to be to guard Jokic on the perimeter, but also to guard him inside. Right, and and I think the reason you're going to end up going big is if you think Markeith could be valuable in in this series as well. Like something ended up getting unlocked because he was much more of a factor um, against Houston than he was against Portland. I feel like you want to start out big just so you don't immediately get him into foul trouble because I think there's that potential that if you start yeah. him out on Jokic from the beginning, you're not going to end up seeing a lot of him because that that's just a brutal cover. Oh, it's funny. Like, you know, you can make it like the lineup was so good. And I mean, unless you go with Davis, I guess. Right. Unless you go with AD starting on Jokic and uh, Markeith on Paul Millsap. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose that's a possibility. Sure. And what's but, funny too is like you know the the lineup was so good from a plus minus standpoint. It's hard to know how much of that is that lineup just clicks and it's really, or how much of that is the Rockets or both. You know the matchup is really good, but the second best lineup starting lineup in the playoff <laughs> is their actual starting lineup. Well, so that's but that's actually like going back to something that wasn't working. But that's actually again, I mean, not, not to go circle backwards too much, but an, another reason why I really give Frank Vogel credit for that adjustment is it's not that the Lakers were playing badly, you know, in those minutes with JaVale. I mean, it, it, JaVale was playing fine. I mean, you know, he wasn't a standout, but he wasn't really hurting them either. I think Vogel just recognized we can do better than this. Like this is ultimately where it's headed. To do things defensively that yes. they couldn't do with that center on the floor. And, you know, I mean, Harden, and I don't, we don't need to turn this into a Rockets podcast, but like Harden got a ton of shit over, over his performance in this series. And I think some of it is deserved, but the Lakers doubled the crap out of him. And they, you know, sometimes they triple teamed him and sometimes like they sent bodies at him. They made it difficult for him to operate around three point line. They made, and I will say he didn't, I don't think he was aggressive enough trying to finish inside. You know, he, he passed out with when he saw AD standing down there. He, like I didn't, and I'm a huge Harden fan. You know that. And I didn't love how he played in the series. I, I don't know if the same things apply in the same ways to to um, you know the Nuggets. But they. Well, I'll say this: you'll ne- you will never have to worry about Jamal Murray backing down or seemingly backing down or growing less aggressive. Like that doesn't happen. You know, but I think what's what's really interesting about it too is you know to some degree it points to whatever the Lakers are going to play. I think whatever lineup allows them to play defense in the best way, because ultimately what we've seen is it's LeBron and it's AD. They're going to perform, and they you know AD I thought was better in the second round than he was in the first. And he's pretty good against Portland. I'm not complaining, but. We saw it at the end of game two in the fourth quarter, in the end of game three in the fourth quarter, in the first half, particularly in game four, before they stopped paying attention, particularly offensively, just got super lazy with the ball. And then in the second half of game five, really all of game five, the the caliber of defense that they're capable of playing, that's going to be what dictates yeah. what Vogel does. It's going to be whatever lineup maximizes, because offensively, they're still, it's mostly what are LeBron and AD going to do and are, you know, which nights are they going to hit shots? In game five, they hit a ton of three-pointers, way out of character. And when they do that, they're never going to lose. Well, I mean, they they averaged against Houston 37% from behind the arc, which is neither bad nor spectacular. 
pretty if good. They could make, but I'm saying if they, if they, well, it's spectacular by their standards. I'm just saying right. like it's not. You don't look at 37.7 percent. Oh, you like, do oh. the season though. I think that puts you in the top third. That's pretty good. Sure. Okay. I, I all I meant was it's not like the it's not like the Warriors in their heyday. But my my point being the the point I was getting at was if they shoot around that, that's great. Like that's enough. Like they don't need to be at 39 or 40 because the rest of what they do is good enough. Right. I'm just saying they can't be down at like 32, 33. Right. And if look, there's... But, but, well, it's, it was that number. I, 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 I don't know if you have it broken back before game five because game five, they were over 50%. Um, so, I mean, that, that boosts it up. But like this team, if they, if they shoot a consistent 33, 34%, that's plenty good given how AD, um, is playing given how LeBron is playing if they can get points in transition. Um, if they can get up and down the floor and if they can continue to, you know, to score that way, because I'm looking at it now, like they are the third best team um, in terms of offensive efficiency in the playoffs. The Jazz are already gone. The, the best team is the Clippers, but the difference is right now, the Lakers have been six point five points, five and a half points better uh, defensively. Per 100 possessions than the Clippers have, and you know some of that's the opponent, but the Lakers have, the Lakers have played bad defensive teams. They haven't played bad offensive teams. No, that's true. That, that is definitely true. Um, well, I mean, Houston for a while was you know they were considered the bee's knees defensively. I mean, everyone was raving about how great they were. It was really yeah, Portland, and then, and then but the, you know the, the warning flag on that one was that the team they played in the first round, Oklahoma City, was not a particularly good offensive. No, team. but but Houston though has been Houston had actually been better yeah, upon getting Robert yeah. Covington. I mean, they they yeah, actually. I don't, think, I don't even think the Rockets were terrible in this series defensively. I just they just got they 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 were very. One of two things we talked about this in the preview with Kelly Eco at the Athletic. Like one of the two things was going to happen: either um, the Lakers were going to find that this particular matchup was problematic, and like the Rockets were able to do things with their quickness or with their sort of switchiness or whatever it might yeah. be that would give the Lakers problems, or the Lakers were going to figure this thing out relatively quickly, and the Rockets weren't going to be able to compete. And it turned out to be much more the latter than the former. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll, of course, it didn't seem like there was going to be much middle ground. No, no, I, I, I didn't think there would be. I wasn't particularly worried after they lost Game One. I mean, I, I thought LeBron was very candid when he said their speed is something that took us like a game or so to get used to. You mm -hmm. know, it's like he compared it to playing the you know the greatest show on turf Rams. You know, the one that won the Super Bowl in 1999. It's something that can't really be replicated in your practices and it doesn't matter how much film you watch. And, yeah. and in the case of Lakers, they didn't really get to watch a ton because they didn't even know who they were going to play until right before the series began because uh, OKC Houston went seven yeah. games. Um, and Houston was, so, you know, was such a different team than they played them in the beginning of the season. You know, there just wasn't, there wasn't much of a template there, but once they figured it out, they figured it out pretty damn well. And there was really nothing Houston could do. And you know we, the the way they locked down. I mean, the other thing that that came through is, is the first series that Rajon Rondo played, and he was impactful. I mean, I realize, yes. I realize, uh, you know, Lakers fans are still maybe coming around, maybe a little less now. I think they're a little more appreciative now. And and who knows if it carries through? It might not work as well in the next round. But as Tom Hamberstro pointed out in uh, 
you know, he, you know, tweeted it out, you know, kind of famously at this point, like nobody has ever raised, nobody raises their PER in the playoffs more than Rondo. Like playoff yeah. Rondo, as much as it's sort of a, a jokey thing that people talk about, is technically a real thing. Like the guy over his career has elevated in the playoffs in this round, at least for the most part, there were a couple moments here and there, but everybody has them for the most part. All the bad stuff that you don't want Rondo to be doing, he generally avoided, and he did all the things that you would look at the Lakers and say, you know, honestly, uh, apprehension aside, that's something Rondo could help with. That's the the, sc- the 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 scales or whatever were incredibly heavily tilted toward the good stuff. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a lot over the course of the season. Like, a- as much as Rondo can have tangible issues on both sides of the ball, and you know, whether you're talking about the eye test or the advanced numbers. There will be a lot of times where you look at them and say, he does not make them better on either side of the ball. He can actually sometimes make them worse. There are also certain things that he does that nobody else on this team can do. And then you also look at certain ways where, like, for example, the Lakers wanted to maintain a rebounding advantage. Rondo is an excellent rebounder for a guard. Yes. You know, I mean, they, 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 and they want to start, they want to push whenever they can. Rondo's instinct, whenever he gets the ball, is to push. You know, yes. I mean, he may he may push and then, you know, crap away 10 seconds dribbling at times. But his first instinct is always to get the team up court as quickly as possible. So, I mean, there there are things that he wants to do that that are helpful. And as much as, you know, he is not he, some nice moments aside, he is still not a great man defender at this stage in his career. But he is no, capable of. Much better. He is when he is not gambling too much. When he's well, I was going to say he's, he's capable of being disruptive. Defender in space. He, yeah, he. But he's also just capable of being disruptive. Yeah, like you, you, you have to be careful of the ball when you're around him. You know, I mean, he's he's like a poor man's Kawhi Leonard, like in that sense. Like he, you know, he's got really quick hands. At this point, he gets a lot of leeway from the refs. In terms of you know the amount of contact he's allowed, you know he's got, I think a reputation as you know if nothing else smart enough that he'll be given a little bit of a leash and he'll use yeah. it. And he looks like a small child when he's playing, like out in some of these games. I mean, I'm not saying his face, but like body wise, there are a lot of times when he's up against you know some of these other like playing with Russ, like when he's guarding Russ. Russ is massive. He makes he makes Rondo look like a kid. So I think like sometimes I think you get a little extra credit just from being small. They're gonna be like, eh, he's so little. You gotta let him do well, stuff. As we as we learn though, not only is Rondo unafraid of Westbrook, so is Rondo's brother. That was <laughs> that is the most Rondo family thing ever. Yes. That Rajon Rondo's brother in game five got ejected for jawing with Russell Westbrook, which is also, by the way, the most Russell Westbrook thing to ever happen. Rondo's brother ejected. Like the whole thing makes a ton of sense. It's very Uh, on brand for everybody involved. It is. But so, you know, in this, over the course of the series, of course, these are the only five games he's played in the playoffs. He was a positive, a net 5.4 points, you know, like, so he, he, they were, they were good when he played. And, you know, there were a couple moments when it was, but like, you're not, you're not you it is not fair to expect rondo to be awesome all the time i think what they need from him is to not be a negative like they need yeah. him to be, they need him to be playable and because then he become he's first of all for two reasons first of all he's what well, he's going to play 
Um, you know, the, clearly Vogel trusts him, LeBron trusts him, the veterans on this team trust him. The guy's going to play. So you need him to play at a certain level because the 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25, whatever it is, are going to crush you if they're, if they're not. But it's unfair. Like, he's not supposed to be the best player while he's out there. And so you want positive contributions and then to avoid the bad stuff. And if that's what you get from him, first of all, it's, it's helpful in the context of this rotation. Second of all, it's just a massive leap over what they got in the regular season, which was very little of the good stuff and almost exclusively the bad things. Yeah, I, I think also, too, I, I trust Vogel at this point that even if he's going to give Rondo a certain benefit of the doubt just because of his stature and, and you know what he means in that locker room, all that stuff. And Vogel clearly respects Rondo as a player, you know, as right. a basketball they mind, all, all of that. They all I, I also trust Vogel not to keep him on the floor for 27 minutes if he's clearly struggling because right. he also trusts Caruso. He trusts KCP. He trusts Danny Green. Like there's a lot of other guys on this team that he trusts. So it doesn't become one of those things where Rondo's out there because Frank Vogel doesn't trust half of his team. And, you know, and that can happen sometimes where guys are out there and you're like, what the fuck is he still on the court for? Yeah. And the answer is because the coach doesn't trust seven right. other guys. If you don't put him on the floor, you got to put somebody else. Well, it's look, man. I mean, this is what happens with Mike D'Antoni all the time. Like D'Antoni draws a huge, you know, like neon light, glaring line in the sand guys on the that he trusts are on the left <laughs> yeah that's weird but you know <laughs> there's a bunch how many, how many metaphors can i mix into one thing i that that's a lot you 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 couldn't quite dial that one back <laughs> well you know what it is i got i got way out you know in front of my skis and rather than try to snowplow i just said you know what i'm going straight down this mountain baby let's tuck <laughs> I am going to tuck that. And you know what? I didn't realize as I'm tucking, that's a ski jump. <laughs> it's actually a ski jump up ahead. And oh, gotcha. I don't know how to do a ski jump. But he landed, he landed, fortunately landed in powder. Right. But, yeah, but uh, he either, either play a lot or you don't play at all. Right. Exactly. And, and, and that is because I think D'Antoni pretty quickly and pretty firmly designates guys as trust don't trust. Right, which, and, by the way, is why Daniel House missing so much of this series was a, a factor that wasn't going. Houston wasn't going to win the series, but might have helped them win another game. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't not. Think like, so, but because when House doesn't play, either other guys have to play more, and um, guys like you know Robert Covington weren't good. Like you know, you're relying on everybody. Kind of miss Clint Capella in this series. Well, yeah, they missed anybody who's taller than six eight. But um, you know, it means more Ben McLemore, who had a nice bounce back season, but isn't necessarily somebody who means more Austin Rivers. Like again, not somebody you want. So it, it, you know, it just it's it's not just the minutes that House isn't playing; it's also the minutes that other guys do. Sure. Um, the other thing that I think helps Rondo a lot in the playoffs, particularly in the context of this team, is that. The, the 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 intensity defensively is so much higher, as good as the Lakers were defensively. The Lakers took defense very seriously for a regular season team with championship um, aspirations. Normally, it would coast a little bit more. The Lakers took it really seriously. Yeah, they took the whole but season still, seriously. Yeah, but it still elevates in the playoffs, and so Rondo a is a little bit less likely to freelance, but more importantly, the defense around him is so good that he. 
it lowers the bar of how good Rondo needs to be himself. So I think that helps. Yeah. Um, it's just easier that way. And so I, you know, I expect that he's going to be a positive contributor. Like it's all about defense because look at I me, mean, you know, Danny Green has, I mean, not shot great, you know, for the most part. He's had some, at the very least, has had some horrendous yeah, he uh, has. shooting moments over the course of this series. And I think he's been inconsistent, to say the least, offensively and all that stuff. He's third on the team in net rating. And I understand he plays most of his minutes with, with LeBron and, and AD, but he's still third. And, you know, so he's not hurting him, you know, and, and, and that's kind of like the, the, that's kind of how you have to look at a lot of the numbers that the Lakers are producing just because, you know, it, it's, it's going to be inconsistent in that way because the scoring and the shooting is all over the place. Um, you know, Danny Green was four of six in, in um, game five. He's shooting 38%, which is higher than I thought in the uh in the playoffs from three but it's been all over the fucking place yeah which i mean is it can be the case with danny green i mean he's he's been historic you know throughout his career you know which has been a lot of winning in, in the playoffs he's been historic for having these pretty crazy swings he, he he's like basically kcp but with rings like a like a more established version of kcp um but a little, yeah. little a little less crazy on the court a little less well know, except except he's on the break i was gonna say when danny green is on the break like he makes kcp look like kcp sometimes will sit back and go like dude seriously like <laughs> really like i'm known for some wonky decisions but danny like come on man like there there may be nobody in the league with credibility who plays in the backcourt, who has less business throwing an alley-oop pass than Danny Green. <laughs> I mean, yeah. my God, they're yeah, an adventure. You're right. I think you're right. Um, so, I mean, it's – I don't – and it is sort of uh, it gets us a little bit into our next topic a little bit, but I don't know. It's, it's hard sometimes to separate in the playoffs the opponent – and the performance because matchups dictate so much of how you look when you play. Um, the Lakers look better than the teams that they're competing against right now. They look better than the Clippers. They look better than the Nuggets. Um, Eastern Conference is very difficult for me to kind of compare just because I don't see those teams quite as much. I've been watching. I was going to say I've been watching Miami. I'm not ready to say that if nothing else, the Lakers look definitively better than Miami. Miami's looked really good. Really good. I've, I've actually been enjoying watching them. And Boston, you know, if they particularly if they can get Hayward back, um, either whether it's in the conference finals, which seems a little ishy, iffy, but like, but certainly, certainly, if they get through this round, if, if Boston beats Miami, then Hayward probably would at least try to play in the finals. It seems like he'd be on track for that. Um, and that's a really good team. So, God, can you imagine? Lakers, Clippers in the in the uh potentially in the in the conference finals and then Lakers Celtics in the actual finals. Oh man, that would I mean, be a lot of fun, especially because then you're getting the 10 year anniversary of Lakers Celtics. Yes. In 2010. Playing the Celtics to tie the Celtics. Well, and also, too, I mean, you know, not to put too much on these guys who have to go out there and actually play the games, but you want to talk about a way to honor Kobe. 
Oof. like to, I mean, to really Oof. honor Kobe's, you know, memory and his legacy with this team. And they've made it clear they are playing with Kobe, you know, not in the back of their minds, in the front yeah, of their yeah, minds. Yeah, for sure. Like th this season has been about Kobe for them to actually beat Boston in the finals, 10 year anniversary of the last championship. A lot. I mean, that that's like, you know, if you put a team of writers together to write this season, they would have said, oh, that's cliched, man. Come yeah, on. Really, that's too much. Um, all right. So before we go, let's 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 talk about this a little bit because you know, it's been sort of this foregone conclusion. The Lakers and Clippers would eventually meet in the Western Conference Finals. Both teams went up 3-1. Um, only one team managed to finish <laughs> off the series, and it's it's the Lakers, it's not the Clippers. Look, Denver, I Denver is a better team than Houston, so I think it's unfair to penalize the Clippers. And you know, you know, I've seen I saw a lot of Lakers fans kind of crowing about this. Like, can you imagine if the Lakers had to go six or seven with Denver? What people would be saying? Well, they're not as good. Denver's better than than Houston. Um, matchups can be an issue. Uh, you know, the Lakers turned out to be a really problematic matchup for the Rockets. I think that became obvious. Um, there are things. Although, that, I mean, there were a lot of people wondering whether or not the Rockets sure. would end up a problematic matchup for the Lakers. I, so. I, yeah, and it, what we found was the answer is not really. <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not so much, no. Right. I mean, we were wondering a lot of things. And then you play the games and you find out where the matchup problems come. And, you know, the, the Nuggets, in addition to being a better team, can do things, you know, that, that kind of bother the Clippers in, in certain ways and, and all of that. And if the Lakers were playing the Nuggets, maybe things look different. That's it. And you know I love the Nuggets. Yeah. Something seems a little off with the Clippers. And I, I'm not going to call myself a Clipper expert. I have not watched them play every game they played in, in the regular season. I've watched them play a fair amount in the bubble and whatever. And everybody looks a little bit off in the bubble. They're, they're collapsing in ways that shouldn't continue to happen for a team that's supposed to be as good defensively as they are um i don't remember where i got this stat it may have been from a piece that i don't remember say it's yours that's fine that uh yo uh yoan buha wrote for the athletic and i apologize if i'm crediting it to the wrong person i just want to make it clear i'm not crediting yeah, it to myself yoan has been on our other show so let's just give him <laughs> the clippers have now blown three leads of 15 or more in the playoffs seven overall this season the most in the nba that's a lot again look the, the lakers let houston back in in game four i guess it was and like but that really wasn't a defensive failing that was them being wildly careless on offense yeah i mean and i'm gonna be honest i wasn't worried about it in game four no. I was like, I'm watching the I'm watching the Lakers screw around. They're going to recognize we have to stop screwing around, and then this is going to be over. And then they recognize time to stop yeah. screwing around, and it was over. The, the when the Lakers have needed to lock down, they have. They did it against Portland in the first round. They figured out how to do that. They did it against Houston in the second round. The Clippers haven't been as effective as that for a team, again, that is supposed to be really good defensively. And I think part of that is, you know, like Montrezl Harrell's never been a great defender. He's been terrible. In yeah. The yeah, uh, I mean, and he's been through a lot, to be fair. I mean, I'm you know, not, he's yeah, been through a lot of stuff, not, but, it's, but he hasn't played well. He hasn't played well. 
And so, you know, in Paul Patrick Beverly's, you know, dealing with a hamstring issue, you know, and he's, I think on a limit, uh, minutes limit, or, you know, he certainly has not been like Patrick Beverly and he gets into foul trouble a lot. There there are, there are extenuating circumstances with all of these things. I mean, Paul George is a little bit banged up again and, and, and all of these things, but he's been very, he's had some really good defensive moments, but overall has been very inconsistent. Um, I think throughout the the postseason, you know, actually had a pretty good game, uh, game six, 33 points on Sunday, but it's just been kind of all over the place. And it's, it's, but it's that inability to kind of lock down and get that cohesion. And, you know, we were talking about before we started recording, they, they took a very different approach than the Lakers did to the regular season. The Lakers kind of, I, I, they they did not you know they didn't do the uh, you know what do you call it the the load management they didn't do that stuff. Um, LeBron and AD stayed very healthy throughout the season, which I think helped. Uh, they were there was less pressure to do that, um, but they played their guys. They did that. They didn't sit out and whatever. Whereas the Clippers, who had more injury issues to deal with, spent much more time trying to kind of just shepherd guys through. And who knows how that would have played out had the pandemic not happened and the stoppage not happened, what they were building up to. But whatever it was, their chemistry and their rhythm didn't get to a level that the Lakers managed to get for two teams that have basically been formed new heading into this year. Well, here's something, though. I mean, and you and I, before the show started, we were talking about the idea of whether or not the Clippers have spent a lot of this season, too much of it, perhaps, just kind of fucking around and, and and not really creating a sense of urgency for themselves, even acknowledging those injury issues and the load management and all that stuff that you're talking about, which, by the way, are legitimate issues. Right. I mean, Paul, but, George, Paul George was a train wreck physically by the time they got to the stop. Yeah, absolutely. But there's also been a decided difference in urgency for this regular season with the Lakers than with the Clippers. And even if you even if you think that that, you know, like the idea that the Clippers, you know, not being dialed in as much as they need to isn't the issue. And and I think it could be part of the problem. But I do think and this is something I just thought about in, in thinking about the Clippers to this point and now being, you know, in a game seven, there's been this assumption for the Clippers that they can just flip the switch. When they've needed to, I mean, there's been something that's been talked about with them all. Well, the very least, there's been an assumption from us watching the Clippers. Well, that that's what I'm talking. Well, maybe in maybe inside the locker room I, too, I, but I, definitely I externally, know they feel that way internally. I just know that we we the Royal right. yes, absolutely, like they can. That's what I'm talking about. There's okay. been this assumption that they can flip the switch to this extra gear that exists, and that is a very unusual thing to assume about a team that has no track record together. And you know what I mean? Like when, when, with the Lakers, when they went back to back and eventually in 2011, you know, there was a lot of benefit of the doubt being given towards that switch flipping ability. And a lot of people fell into it, including you and me, even though the eye test, you know, was, and yeah, there were a lot for, of reasons to believe that the team wasn't going right, to The eye test, you know, you and I covered the team. We were around right. them. You could see that things were not on the same page. But at least that team was being given the benefit of the doubt because of all the things that had already been established about them. 
The Clippers don't have any of that, and it is extremely unusual for a team with that little established history to be given that type of flip-switching ability. And I, I wonder if that's something that everybody collectively just assumed was there that may not be there. Yeah, and you know, it may just be that this season has been too disjointed, and like they couldn't even get, you know, because of what happened with with uh, Harold, because of, with his family, because of you know Lou Williams and his chicken wing, like they they couldn't even use the the uh, the, the the seeding games to try to develop that kind of rhythm because those guys weren't available to them, and so you know. It, it, yeah, this is what I was saying before. Like the Lakers have things. LeBron was as like, are we playing as well as we were when 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 the stoppage happened? Like, are we built up to that place where we're? I don't know, is what he said. But it's like we're playing pretty well, and I think you know it doesn't like it, it doesn't matter if the Lakers get to that spot if nobody else is quite where they were either. Like, I think that that concept of what that top gear is what it normally is in the playoffs is is obviously different now in terms of precision in terms of exactly where every team is and the Lakers have have gotten to a better place than the Clippers have like no look the Clippers could get out of game seven and 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 still beat the Lakers in the Western Conference sure. because you know matchups change rhythms change stuff can happen very quickly and they've shown during the regular season like those are these are two very evenly matched teams but if you're gonna take, and we can we can wrap on this, but like if you're gonna take just the track record of what teams have shown in the postseason to this point, uh, particularly if you want to like lean into some recency bias, and the Lakers are Lakers will enter this se- this series playing better than the Clippers are. There's no question. I mean, there's just no question about it. Um, yeah. So and, you know, and by the way, this is assuming this whole conversation we're having is that the Lakers actually end up playing the Clippers. Correct. You know, they're they're. Denver, if nothing else, they are not going to be scared heading into this matchup. You know, Jokic came out and said the pressure's all on those guys. If I I think the Clippers, you look at it as like who's best when they're playing at their best, and I as I think the Clippers are better than the than the Nuggets if both teams are playing at their top capacity. But I do think the Nuggets would arrive into a Western Conference Finals with the Lakers first of all with zero pressure. Because nobody, all the pressure would be on the Lakers. I don't think there's any question about that. So there'd be zero pressure on the Nuggets. And the Nuggets would have far more internal confidence, I think, in in their ability, having come back against uh, 3-1 against Utah, did it again against the Clippers. They get to play free and easy uh, against a team that they're not supposed to beat, whereas the Clippers would have almost collapsed to get out of that, you know, to get out of the, the conference semifinals. Facing a team that you know, they there would be real expectations on this team to beat the Lakers. Um, with without that consistency, you mentioned that stat they blow leads all the time. Like, what happens when the Lakers make a big push and the Clippers have seen this sort of thing play out over and over and over again? I, well, I mean, I look, the way the, the more confident team, like, if, with truth serum. Yeah, I mean the way they've been playing right now in terms of you know that that talk of the hierarchy and scoring with the Lakers, you know LeBron and, and AD really doing the the lion's share of the scoring and everybody else sort of filling in where they need to. The Clippers, in theory, weren't supposed to be that team, 
But this series against Denver, that's who they've been. Like Lou Williams yeah. is not averaging double figures. Yeah, they've been bad. He, Williams is bad. Harold's been bad. It's been hard to keep both of them on the floor. And if that happened, Lakers figured out how to attack Lou particularly. Yeah. Uh, they take both those guys off the floor. You're in a lot of ways, you're like saying, okay, you know, which who's gonna be better? Your two stars or our two stars? And I think the Lakers will take our two stars. Oh, yeah. I mean every, if you're, every, even uh, if you think Kawhi, even if you think Kawhi has been the best of the four in, in the bubble, if you wanted to make that argument. Have two and three, and it's not even close. Yep. Oh God. I mean, the gap the gap between whoever you have at three and Paul George at four, like, is decided. Yep, absolutely. it's pretty sizable. All right, so we'll try to get a, a, a preview uh, if we can. You know, Wednesday the game is Wednesday. Uh, the series West Conference Finals start Friday. I'll try to get a preview up in between now and then once the you know who the Lakers are going to play. But in the meantime, a uh, quick reminder: late night happy hour every night uh, on our Twitter feed, uh, Periscope, Periscope, and uh, Facebook. All that stuff. I find it at Cam Brothers or at Kamineski Brothers on Facebook. Great slate of guests this week. We'll start off Monday with Dave Schilling. We'll do some basketball over the course of the week. Wednesday night, uh, Lakers fans will really enjoy it. Jeff Perlman. He's got a great book coming out. Yeah. About, uh, the uh, uh, Kobe Shaq Lakers. Yeah. Um, We've been reading it. It's good. It's a really fun book. So we'll, we'll have uh, him on Wednesdays. And we're hoping to catch up with Tanya Ganguly, who covers the Lakers for uh, the Times on Thursday. So a lot of basketball getting ready yep. for the conference finals this week on the Late Night Happier every night, 10 o'clock Pacific. Uh, and meanwhile, we will see everybody on the next edition of the Lando Lakers podcast. Thanks a lot.